Now, can you believe that? I mean, that is inspired. Now, I know there are people out there who just, when they hear the very words, uh, the syllables E-L-O, just cringe. But, you know, I, I want to take you on about that little pushback here because, um, yes, some of ELO stuff, like everything else, I mean, I saw Xanadu, which I loved, but um, we all have views of, you know, the corniness of some of it and, oh, you know, there's something so artificial uh, in, in the music from the standpoint of many critics. But Turn to Stone, I mean, how will that song ever be um, made redundant or emeritilt? Impossible. Well, this is podcast number 134 entitled Pillar of Salt, but it might just as well be called Lot's Wife. And it is an attempt to think with you a little bit about the means by which the past ceases to become that which turns us to stone in the looking back at it and in the recollection and by which we move forward into the new creation and in the hope of a new being. Um, It will come as no surprise whatsoever to listeners of PZ's podcast that there's an an awful lot of looking back Uh, involved in the enterprise here, which is part of what always happens when you begin to say, what the heck happened? You know, what was that? And uh, you begin, even in current perspective, to say, you know, there was a real mistake here, or this aspect, or this particular theory, or this aspect of one's thinking was fundamentally flawed. And it's not just, you know, the progenitors of the school of thought. It's the school of thought. It's not just the very... um, really disappointing actors in a drama, but the very drama itself that has to be transcended. And so this uh, uh, cast is uh, just another sort of stepping stone. I'm not your stepping stone, but let's call it this, to the place of kind of oneness, which allows one to sort of um, not simply become absorbed by the regret, but actually becomes freed up and no longer paralyzed. And you know about Lot's wife. I'd like to communicate a haiku. A haiku is uh, Kerouac's haiku from the 50s. I think it's in my book here, Some of the Dharma, which I regard as kind of a, if only someone could actually do a sort of 365 uh, days a year, thought for the day from that, a la Richard Rohr or a la Mockingbird. You, you could do five years, thoughts for the day, from Kerouac, some of the Dharma. But it was collected in a collection of haiku. And this particular one goes like this. The smoke of old naval battles is gone. Well, that's very... Uh, if you saw Cleopatra with Liz Taylor and... Um, and uh, Richard Burton, if you remember the Battle of Actium, where um, this sort of very spectacular battle at the end, which is sort of a great rally for Hammer Hara actors. I mean, almost every actor in the last section of the movie, the uh, the famous Battle of Actium, in which Anthony uh, and Cleopatra's fleet was defeated by the... That is the uh, Augustan Romans. Um, And you see all these boats burning up in this tremendously well-staged sea battle. And the smoke of old naval battles is gone. And this is what we all want, isn't it? I mean, isn't that what you want, isn't it? Don't you want to be able to move on, not with a denial, not with a sort of the usual kind of ferocious sense, you know, uh, we have to move beyond. I've got to get beyond. I've got to have closure. I've got to move past. I've got to go. You know, these are often contrived because people never do. They 
they continue to think about these things because hurts are lasting, hurts on a person's life. They're, they're these scars, you know, the old thing about pressing the pressing the, the, the scar, the scab. Um, this is what I want you to really be thinking about. Now, in uh, theology, there is, a, um, there is an antidote or a cure. There is therapy for the long-time hurt, which is almost always uh, by which we are either a victim or a victimizer, uh, to use Maltmanian language. We're either a culprit or we're the victim. And often theology is uh, balanced in favor of the victim or it's balanced in favor of the predator. That is forgiveness for the thief and the cross. <clears throat> and Christian theology, in fact, gives both. It uh, The death of Christ is the death for sinners as well as for um, those who have been sinned against, who in turn create sin in their own lives out of reaction and response to the original sin against them. It's a perpetual repeating cycle. So no one is immune, no victim is immune from making someone else a victim, and no victimizer is immune from being regarded, and in his own sight, certainly as a victim. So in theology, we believe that that which makes Friday good, we believe I say that as if it's some kind of peremptory thing. I believe that the heart of the uh, great Christian um, um, resource of the death of Christ on the cross uh, is one that uh, involves a uh, lack of condemnation and an act of forgiveness and mercy to all forms and um, degrees and qualities of sin and being sinned against, which creates a level playing field and all sort of... um, Moral weightings to different actions are uh, destroyed in favor of a common need for a savior. And Dylan got this so brilliantly, as I've said in the song, um, saved. Well, this uh, creates a kind of monism. You might say that God's uh, playing, uh, what's the word, playing ball with our dualism in the death of Christ creates a monism. I used to say that God's either or creates a both and, that the both and has to come out of a dealing with the either or. And so um, uh, Lot's wife's turning with regret and a little bit of wistfulness at the regret a little bit of nostalgia towards the very thing which had been destroyed. Um, uh, that kind of dualistic regard, me to it, it to me, you to me, I to you, uh, is destroyed uh, when all cats become gray in the dark because of the universal forgiveness of sins. And that was a very controversial thing I just stated for those of you who are interested in current theology, because I used to believe that actually it has to be true that all cats are gray in the dark, that ultimately this has to take away the individual emoluments and individual characteristics and individual quantities and qualities of both victimization and uh, culpritude. Uh, And if this is not done, then we have nothing to go on. We have to be in the situation of, uh, you might really say, that all cats are white in the light or gray in the dark, rather white in the light. And that's what I want to say about the atonement. But the result of this is a kind of wonderful monism. And you might say that uh, Isherwood, in a a little passage that I've used before, but I want to refer to it again, it's so deep, in my opinion at least, Isherwood captures this. He captures the result of a monistic thinking, which usually comes through some kind of terrible and uh, utter catastrophic defeat of one's own ideas of superiority or gaining advantage in any kind of shape or way. Um, I believe he captures the results of a universal atonement or a universal love without limit 
in his uh, passage, which I regard as uh, crystalline, from March the 27th, 1978. In other words, this is the result of the dispersal of the smoke of old naval battles, which, in my opinion, occurs in connection with the universal and unquantified love of God for sinners, because that is what we all are. And... um, This is what he said. I think I read it to you before. And don't worry about the sort of specifically Hindu references because the result is something beyond and above all um, particular uh, um, uh, spices or or, um, um, formats of religious belief. Remember what Kerouac said? He wasn't really interested in any of the individual flavors of Buddhism. He told Gary Schneider, I'm not at all interested in any of the flavors, whether it's Theravada or Mahayana or Tibetan or whatever it was, Chinese and Zen. He wasn't interested in the flavors. He was interested in the first and possibly the second, first and probably the second of the Four Noble Truths, which are entirely unbound to context or flavor. And take away the flavor, which, by the way, at the end of his life, Isha had said this. He said the specific character of Hindu religion as such meant less and less to him. He still had a great regard for uh, the figures that had meant so much to him personally, but the specific flavors of his own uh, adopted Hinduism were fading in uh, importance to him as he prepared for death in light of the bigger universal principles. And this is what he said, while, quote, meditating, end of quote, and he says that to be skeptical about his own success at this tremendous uh, um, discipline that he's adopted, while, quote, meditating, end of quote, this morning, writes Isherwood, I began to think of that unresolved problem, the postscript to my new book. This is his book about um, his relationship over the years with Swami Prabhavananda. And it came to me that I should point out that this book differs in kind from books on other subjects because there is no failure in the spiritual life. This sounds trite, but I feel there is a very valuable statement to be developed here, namely that one cannot make a statement. I can't say that my life has been a failure as far as my attempt to follow my religion goes, because every step is an absolute accomplishment. So I have neither succeeded nor failed, and I am always the Atman, he means by that the presence of God in human affairs, I am always the Atman, the reality of God now, anyhow. More to be thought about this, I hope. That's very, very powerful. The use of the word anyhow there, there are any number of ways you could have put that, but he used a colloquial word that's also the perfect word. And when he says more to be thought about this, I hope, you know, he probably isn't going to think about it any longer. He was 74, by the way, when he wrote that. But um, I, I often I will say to somebody who writes me, you know, I don't have time to answer this important question now, but let me think about it and get back to you. I rarely do. I should say, I hope I'll get back to you, but I probably won't. <laughs> Because I really don't want to think about some big deal, you know. The last thing I want to do is think about some big deal. And uh, so um, this is uh, why I find it so diffident uh, of him and respectful and humble and true when he says, I think, I hope I'll think about this. But the real point of that is the fact that every step of spiritual life in light of, for Christians, uh, the atoning love of Christ, which makes up for the various differences of superiority and inferiority of human experiences that we each have and makes them all one. All cats are, as it were, 
glow in the light. All cats glow in the light. I like to think that they're not white or black. I like to think rather that they're kryptonite green in the glow of, as Marlon Brando would say, the planet Krypton. Well, all cats are green in light of the planet Krypton or in light of the atonement. And that's just really, really helpful to me and important. And uh, in light of that, you see, you can look and say, well, you know, I took a wrong turn for 10 years or 30 years or whatever it was. And, and it, 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 that's, that's the reason I'm where I am now. I mean, I wish I hadn't. You know, you might say to yourself, I, I, gosh, if I'd only been back, if only I'd known then at age 25 or to age 21 what I know now or age 18, but I didn't. And so acceptance allows <clears throat> oneself, based upon, for Christians at least, the cross allows, uh, it certainly allowed Isherwood in his religion to look upon all the things that he might have regarded as failures or as positives um, as one. And that's really the secret. However we get there, that is the secret of uh, not uh, being a wife uh, to Lot. By the way, the, uh, uh, there's a wonderful painting of that by Durer in the National Gallery of Art in Washington in which you see Lot and his daughters, that's a whole other story, uh, on their uh, donkeys and uh, mules, uh, but in the background is the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And it was also made into a what's called a sword and sandal epic with... Uh, I keep wanting to say, I think Stephen Granger, is that the name of the actor? He was in um, King Solomon's Mines and also in Prisoner of Zenda. Is it Stephen Granger? Something like that. Um, Not Farley Granger, but boy, amazing Um, uh, uh, movie for its Italian uh, cheap, wonderful special effects. That is to say, they're wonderful as she turns into a pillar of salt. And then the pillar of salt is is there in the desert section of northern Italy where they filmed this as well as probably the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, What a... uh, uh, what a picture of you and me in our paralysis to uh, be the pillar of salt. Well, that's all I had to say, and I leave you with uh, a um, uh, an impressive uh, and, to me, really sublime, uh, inspired, actually, as I would see it, um, distillation of this message in the uh, music of Scott Walker, Get Behind Me. Thank you so much, and God bless. It's the signs as we see them There's no thresholds at all There's no vows to be broken As we rise or we fall There's no noise high above us As the moon turns in space Just the face of a lady Who we love for her grace Get behind me Get behind me Won't you bend my ear again I really need a friend Get behind me Get behind me Remind me to remind me Not to go back there again When the threads of dark moments Start to tremble with sound And an almost formed whisper dies The boundaries surround We 
reaching beyond us through the shape-shifting clouds. Wide eye like you, brother, so electric, so proud. Get behind me, get behind me. I want you to bend my hair again. I really need a friend. To remind me Not to go back there again Set us free Of this being So we'll be once again So we won't feel The gravity of time And the face In the faces Of the loves We move through Reappears in original design. Get behind me, get behind me. Won't you bend my ear again? Lord, I really need a friend. Get behind me, get behind me. Remind me to remind me, and not to go back again. Between, between.